0: As always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norton Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. Investment Advisor services offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. Thanks as always to the Norden Group. Uh, Dan is back from Price, and before anything else, uh, we had a lot of really good feedback from this last episode. I just wanted to thank everyone for listening. I, I, I hope Dan, it sounds like a lot of people actually got something from that, huh? Yeah, I I talked to
1: so many people that that just pushed themselves really hard this weekend. It was just so awesome to see, and it's it's cool to see what we're capable of. And, oh yeah. You know, we're, we're just, we're better than we think sometimes. This you know? is, this just,
0: is a very mental sport. It really you know? is. Lots of good results. We'll, we'll go over those from the weekend. We wanted to thank you guys, but before anything else, um, we actually have something important to talk about at the know, front end of this episode. It? Um, and it's not writing zone two or being nice to people. And I know those are Dan's two favorite things, <laughs> but, um, this is something that both Dan and I are really passionate about and excited about. Um, and so if, if you're kind of listening in the background or whatever, put close the other tab. Come back to us for just a sec. Um, because yeah. because this is this is a big deal.
1: Okay, so so first of all, like in terms of like trail development, Salt Lake City
0: gets an F compared we to We suck. Can I really quick, for how good the cycling culture is, for how many people ride here, for the fact that this is the capital of the state that represents like a quarter of NYCA? Our trail situation sucks with a capital S. Like like, you
1: know, like Draper, Harriman.
0: Yep. Park City. Yep. All these
1: places. Yep. You you turn your head. They've built a new trail. Yep. And Salt Lake and, and a lot of it. How do you like unshout out someone like save our foothills or something? You and, call
0: them out. That yeah, that's a call out. A Shout call outs out. good. Okay. Call outs bad.
1: You know, like they they started developing some trails out out in the shoreline area and. Save Our Foothills.
0: I'm using air Save carts. Our Foothills is a bunch of rich old people who don't like young people with long hair who are scary in their backyards. Yeah, they
1: basically just are blessed to live in a cool place but don't like to share their There are their a bunch backyard. of people,
0: really, really, truly though, it's a, it's a bunch of people who kind of have a short-sighted, um, what would be a good word for this, myopic view of community yeah, and, and, so and have really made it difficult. They, for they basically
1: to... single-handedly shut down the trail building yeah. in Salt Lake. So yep. So, boo to them. Yep. Hopefully, cool. someone from them's listening. And
0: Yeah, I was going to say, and if that's your grandma, I'm sure she's a lovely lady, but I'm sorry. She's wrong. Like, like, <laughs> really, truly, like, very selfish way to look at yeah, it. So, you know. so,
1: needless to say, building trails in Salt Lake is Ugh. an extreme uphill battle. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But there's a group of people oh, yeah. that are fighting through it. And Our Avengers. Yeah. And the leader of that is John Knobloch, who, when he retired, he kind of dedicated his life to trail building. He doesn't get paid a dime to do. In fact, quite the opposite. Yeah. I think he's. Oh yeah. I think he's helping fund a little bit of this. Himself. And John Knobloch,
0: someone we have a lot of history with on, from the golden era of the Skyline Mountain Bike Team. His son Andy, one of my closest friends, um, uh, was like one of the founding members of Maybird. Like these are people who are like deeply entrenched yeah. in Utah cycling.
1: And John Knobloch was involved in improving the Mormon Pioneer Trail system, which. Has been used like tons by Nike riders in the area. Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, that was a great improvement. Um, he was responsible for that trail that goes from like Parleys to the H Rock, mm-hmm. which I call it
0: New Shoreline. Yeah, the kind of newer section up there. Um,
1: that's been an awesome benefit to the community. Oh yeah, but for the last, I think he's he's fifteen years into this. He has been raising money. He's been working with government entities to kind of buy up properties and. And going through hurdles left and right to acquire the land and permitting required to build a trail that's going to go from above Eastwood Elementary, connect with the Pipeline Trail, and my goodness, once you're on that trail, you can go... Anywhere. While
0: staying on single track, I'd add. Yeah, you can get. You cross pavement one time to cross the middle. Road. You can Creek go road. up to
1: Dog Desolation Lake. You can get up to Park City. You can, so kids can like that can't drive yet. Oh yeah. Can access like hundreds of miles of trail, by that one trail. It's yep. just like, I'm getting giddy just talking about it. And oh, I yeah. I wrote it the other day, and um, so so John met some different trail builders out there and. And and some people said, you know what, the train's just too steep here. We can't build a trail. Yeah, because it's it's steep. Yeah, it was it was a tough place to build a trail, but they made it happen, and they have been building a really nice trail that is it's really relatively easy to ride, mm-hmm. considering the terrain. Considering the, it's terrain, not an easy
0: trail, but yeah. considering, I mean, it's the a tough carts. trail. You're
1: going to get a good workout. Yeah, getting considering up the that. hand they were dealt, they've done a very good job. Um, awesome awesome job and I think we're gonna get John on soon to kind of talk about the trail development in the area and so forth but um, but this trail they're almost complete they're a, they're a week or two away I'm thinking probably a couple weeks away from being complete um, they're slightly under budget or yep. slightly r- underfunded yep and they're trying to raise about 15 grand to be able to complete it and pay the contractor yep and I just want to reach out to I mean I was I was thinking about you know if 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 half of our team was able to cough up a 100 bucks a family we could probably finish paying for this trail for the for
0: yep and I should say we're a team and a group of people that will disproportionately benefit from this where most of our people are living you know a high concentration of Maybird lives in that kind of Mill Creek Olympus Cove area um and, you know, like, I, I, I really wish that it was a bigger priority for governments to just have this be like a taxpayer thing, the same way we put sidewalks and fund schools. It's not yet. So, like, we've, we've got to step up because this is like a trail that's going to be here for uh, ever. For hundreds of that years. That we can use yes. and, and that people can benefit from. And it's like we're not that far off from from being there. He's not looking for a million dollars.
1: No. The, you know? the, yeah. The, it cost over $100,000 to for the contractor to dig the trail yes um doing a fantastic job yep just needs a, a few more thousand to finish up so you know when i was thinking about it you know the sport's awesome because we don't have to pay lift ticket fees and we don't nope. have to you know so if you're able you know send some money towards that i think if how, you live how, in the how,
0: Lake, how do people go about doing that really quick
1: well i sent out a link on team snap the other day that has a uh a, a, a flyer that John made. There's um, a QR code, there's I a believe QR code on that. Okay. We'll send, we'll be sending, this isn't the last you're going to hear about. You'll it.
0: see this a lot. Yeah. We will harass everyone about this until it gets done. <laughs> so if you're sick of hearing about it, you know, oh, yeah. oh, get, so get we'll, we'll, we'll continue to post <laughs>
1: links. Um, if you want the link, reach out to me and I'll send it to you.
0: Um, yeah. One more call out related to this. I was writing up in Mill Creek yesterday, A a it's you know a significant barrier to getting trails done is that people don't like mountain bikers um and while i think a lot of that is unfair i couldn't help but notice yesterday that the majority of people going down pipeline i'm sure most of them shuttled up from the crest the majority of people coming down by pipeline were acting like jerks and like just riding like total douchebags coming, whipping around blind corners where there are lots of hikers skidding to a stop, not saying anything when they passed you. Um, there is, there are enough barriers to getting trails built without people's kind of antagonistic experiences with bikers. This is one of the reasons that like trail etiquette is such a big deal for this team. It's a, and if you want to ride like that, there's a place for you. It's called deer Valley. Yes.
1: It's not just cause you buy a shuttle pass. Yep. Doesn't mean you have the right. No. way.
0: Or like uh, midweek Enduros. Yeah, go, like the, go give the midweek people 15 bucks or whatever it costs. Do it in enduro. Close trails, ride as fast as you want. But pipeline, like for real. And I got after a couple guys. I was like, you guys are like grown men. You're riding like children. I have 14-year-olds that I coach that have a better grip on and not in like like basic decency too. Like like if you're going scaring the crap out of people when you ride, please bring your neighbor jersey over. We will refund your money and never talk to you again. Like if that's how you want to ride... We want nothing to do with you. Yeah. And Triletica, unfortunately... Trail
1: etiquette needs to improve. Energy. Yeah. And and, and and I do think that most NICA
0: teams are pretty good. Yes. And actually, that's the funny thing is you'd think that it would be these kids you're having problems with. And I think there was a time when that's true, but holy smokes, man. No. It, it's the it's it's, it's the the it, middle-aged men. It's, yeah. On it, And you know what? Honestly, that's kind of it. Yeah. I, I haven't had a problem... It's the
1: middle-aged men on bikes that are too big for them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so
0: big emphasis. Like if that's, if, if we can do anything to make like John Knobloch's life easier to make it easier to go to a city council meeting and argue for bike trails, let's have Maybird people be at the forefront of that, you know, set a good example. So um, yeah, once, one more time, check team snap, look for that flyer, go for the, the QR code, just scan that and, and you know, we'll what, be like, doing Instagram posts and you'll see more about this yeah. unless it gets done right away.
1: <laughs> well, even then they need more funny. They've got future projects they're working
0: on. So if we go above and beyond, that's yeah. not a bad thing. So there we go. Um, really quickly too. Um, mo- moving on. I want to talk a little bit, kind of having local news done, talk about world news for just a second. There is one thing and I should say really quick, Dan, I've been talking about how much we want to do news on this podcast. I think enough of you are on Instagram. It's not going to be like a big focus for us moving forward, but we have to call out that an American just won the Vuelta Espana, which is a huge deal. Not only an American, like the coolest, nicest, most charming, best example I could ever think of. sepkus Nikograd, I I think so. Yeah. I, is he really? I think he is. Oh, yeah. He's a little old for that. Okay, from Durango, which we've talked about before. I think we mentioned this mm-hmm. last week. Um, and really quick, Dan, the Grand to- When I say Grand Tours, we we know what that means, right? We've gone over this a few times. Yeah. What are the Grand Tours?
1: There's like four of them, right? Three. Come on,
0: Dan. I don't know. There are three. They're the okay. three biggest races in cycling, I, was I was would saying. argue. It's the Tour de France, the Giro d'Italia, and the Vuelta de España. The Tour of Italy, the Tour of France, and the Tour of Spain, right? Three weeks long. Winning one of them is a really big deal. Um, I want to call out specifically that an American won one, which hasn't happened for 10 years. And funny enough, it was the Vuelta 10 years ago in 2013 that Chris Horner won. Um not as charming a figure as sepkus i'm I'm really excited about him but i also want to call out jumbo Visma won all three grand tours this season primos roglic won the giro jonas vingigo won the tour sepkus just won the vuelta and the top three at this vuelta were uh sepkus jonas vingigo and primos roglic no way yeah that's cool that's cool that is dominance in a level that team sky never brought granted jumbo's only won two tours Sky, I think, has won seven in the past ten years or something like that. Um, so it's not an apples-to-apples apples comparison, but that is really cool. Super cool. Uh, I will say, Pogachar wasn't at the Vuelta, um, but, like, Remco was, and they crushed him. So I have to call it that. Congratulations to Jumbo Visma, as if coming from me that means anything at all. But, like, great day for American cycling. You know, like, remember when Kate Courtney won Worlds? Mm-hmm. This is, I think, equal to that. For oh, wow. me, for American cycling. That's just a, a BFD. Big friggin' deal. So, um, yeah, congratulations to those guys. Uh, we should also touch on uh, the Nike race yesterday and well, price.
1: There actually did have um, a one more little bit of... Local... Oh, did I, did
0: I segue too quick? Well, no,
1: um, I just wanted to shout out. Amy Larkin did that lifetime race in uh, Wisconsin.
0: Oh, no? What, or was it yeah. Wisconsin or Michigan? No, it was Wisconsin. It was Wisconsin? Oh, okay, yeah. really? How did yeah, that go? Yeah,
1: so, um, I guess it was a tough race, uh, but yeah, dude. Yeah, the,
0: which I just think super cool. Um, there's hard bike racing outside of the Rocky mountains.
1: Yeah. I think people forget that. Yeah. This was a tough race and I just think it's cool. She's out there doing so many cool things, inspiring the girls she works with. Oh my
0: gosh. Yeah. Yeah. We should really pay Amy Larkin to ride in our Jersey, I, you know, I know, like, yeah, she's awesome. Congratulations to Amy there. Did we do we know how she did? Do we have a result to call out? Probably, I, you know, I killer. don't know, but I, I whatever it was it yeah, was cooler than anything super we'll ever do
1: cool. you know and i was like at the nika race and i have a hard time it's really hard because when the varsity girls race it's hard because like my brain processes really slowly as all oh, you i know. Guys know yeah and as the varsity girls are riding by i can barely come up with their names fast enough because almost every one of those girls rides with amy yep you know and, and it's yep. like and it's hard when they come by in a pack I'm cheering for all of them at the same it's time. It's hard
0: to just, shout all of them out too, because yeah. like we always do we're always doing these shout outs and we're like, Oh my gosh, you know, like so all of these girls. She's just done like just
1: such an awesome role model for all those girls. Yeah. And it's just so cool how many girls in that D two varsity group are friends and ride together and it's 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 a cool thing. So
0: Bravo. That counts as cycling world news, right? So, yeah. Did I, I uh, some more yeah, that's that's kinda of, that was a, the bad segue there. Oh. <laughs> it's okay. We'll, so, we'll let you finish up and then so I'll do some a real more news, segue. I,
1: this is stupid. No one cares about news, but I just wanted, you know, I was
0: complaining about my knee. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Lots of people spent nights awake worrying about that, Dan. <laughs> Glad we're no, closing but, the loop on this. You know, the
1: thing is, is like when I learn something new, I like to share it on this podcast, you know, and Oh, I know. And I know. And, and so I I had some knee pain on point to point. It was pretty frustrating. I I had a a doctor's appointment with a PA from the U that really didn't go very well. didn't go anywhere. Really didn't really
0: cyclists have specific needs. Yeah. Not all medical providers are well equipped to meet them. That's okay. Yeah.
1: And then after that, I had a, a bike fit appointment with Bo Foreman and, and that was just fascinating what I learned from that. So, um, so Bo kind of checked things out and instantly he diagnosed that I had, you know, uh, pariformis syndrome, you know, like my pariformis muscle was causing pain on my sciatic nerve and it was kind of shooting down into my knee. And, you know, we talked about some stretches and foam rolling and strengthening and stuff that I need to do. And it's, it's already making a huge difference, but he, um, I then, he then like did a bike fit for me and most of my bike fit was pretty good. You know, there wasn't really much that needed to be changed. He moved my cleats a little bit, my cleats, I had them a little too far back. He moved a little further forward, but he did say he, he did make a shopping list for me. Oh, okay. He, he found out that like, cause my saddle used to be really comfortable, okay. but this season it hasn't been.
0: It's well, your saddle's deteriorated. It's kind exactly. of falling apart. And um, that's
1: kind of what he pointed out. I guess my sit bones like are now kind of sliding off the edge of the saddle and not yep. really being supported by it anymore because it's so worn out and that's why it wasn't comfortable anymore so
0: saddles have a wear life people remember yeah,
1: that um so so beau basically made me buy a new saddle
0: did you make you get the s works one
1: it wasn't s works i got okay. the heavier version
0: oh but the specialized one yeah okay yeah that's the same one i'm running yeah so
1: um so it was it was interesting that like my saddle was part of the problem causing oh, yeah. knee pain
0: Yep. You know, which you kind of wouldn't think, but it
1: it really does make sense because it's kind of... Everything's connected. It really is. Bike
0: fitting's really hard to do right. Yeah. super complicated. You
1: really have to understand the human body well.
0: Yeah. The GCN video you watched does not make you a bike fitter. No. Me from five years ago.
1: (laughs) And and the other thing I just thought was so interesting is how important, like, taking care of... Because it was really my glutes that were the problem. Like, my glutes were the reason... My knee was hurting wow and it's because they they just needed more stretching and strength and rolling and um and and it's just so interesting how like kind of taking care of your entire body helps improve your cycling it's not just about your quads
0: there are no isolated problems in cycling or physiology you know
1: yeah so um, that's just something I just kind of wanted to share. You know, I just thought it was interesting. I'm, I, I, kind of splurged on a nice saddle. I'm excited to see how it goes and if it makes a difference. I
0: don't know if you can splurge on a saddle though. That's one of those things where like, if you're going to do this seriously, like you got to be like, you can't exactly. ride a bad saddle for very long. You, you can have other things that bug you. I I mean,
1: know, they say if you've got the right saddle, you don't know what's there.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. Like that's, and people are always like, I've had people say before, like non-bike people, like I show off, I show off my bikes like they're my children, right? Cause I can actually afford bikes. But like, you'd be like, how do you sit on that saddle? There's like no padding on it. I'm like, if you, if the saddle fits, if the bike fits and if you have good bibs, you, like a lot of pros ride saddles without padding. Yeah. Like it's, that's a thing.
1: Well, in this saddle I bought, it's actually one of those new 3d printed ones.
0: You got one of the 3d printed ones. Yes. Mom let you buy that. Okay, I was like, okay, maybe you can splurge on saddles, because those are expensive. I've looked at those before and been like, oh.
1: They've got a cheaper one now. Do they really? Yeah, that's heavier.
0: I've got a credit card. <laughs> Sweet. Okay. And, and, um, we need to follow up on this. I want idea, to know how you like the, it.
1: The idea of it is it actually is designed to kind of like how a Birkenstock would mold to your foot. This is designed to kind of mold to your under... So it's not supposed to be comfortable at first, but once it molds, it's supposed to adapt to you and...
0: No pain, no gain. Right. So I'm very, of. I'm very interested to see how you like that.
1: It looks pretty cool. So that's cool. Yeah, I'm excited about that. So very cool.
0: Um, but
1: should I talk about Nike?
0: Yeah, I, I think, I think people like it when we talk about Nike. that seems to be a crowd pleaser. They're,
1: they're more excited about Nike than hearing I bought a new seat.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't know, man, sound off in the comments. If you, <laughs> we don't have comments, but, <laughs> um, uh, but Nike price. Yeah, so yeah, we had kids at Price and kids at Richfield. One more time, we can't call everyone out. You all did a really good job.
1: I wasn't going to call very many people out this
0: time. Um, Shout out, not call out. We we established we calling out. We're going to call out. We called out. um, Gibbons twins, I swear.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we we called out Save Our Foothills. We're shouting out. out. We're
0: shouting out the Nike kids, sorry. Um,
1: But we had lots (laughs) of wins, lots of wins this weekend. And we also had some podiums too.
0: Oh, that was clever, see because that was a callback to last week where not all wins are first place.
1: Yeah, so um, just a few, like Crane Higgins had an awesome race. She won the Varsity Girls in Division Two. but my goodness, she was, she was in a flow state. Classy she, bike
0: rider, man. Yeah. Classy so bike rider. This
1: girl knows how to push herself.
0: Oh, yeah. She really knows oh, how yeah. to push herself.
1: But she knows how to push herself and make it look fun at the same time. So, um, it was it was just so exciting to see her win. Uh, another race I thought was pretty cool, super cool, is a Bountiful rider. He's not a Maybird rider, but... Um, yet. Yet.
0: But huh.
1: he's, he's an amazing rider. Sam Brady from Bountiful.
0: I've heard that name. Yeah.
1: Um, he, like... He's usually the one that finishes behind the Gibbons boys. Oh. In, in the varsity races. You know, he's, he usually comes in third. Um,
0: Two good carrots to chase there. Let me tell you, man.
1: <laughs> and... He kind of came. They came through on like I think it was like the first lap, and he wasn't there. There was someone else chasing the Gibbons. I'm like, oh, that's weird. Okay. Turns out I think he got like a flat tire. Ah. Got back to like 12th or 15th or something.
0: Good on him, man! Finished, Holy smokes! Finished the race in third. Good on him. He finished. Wait, he finished racing third? Yeah, in varsity. I thought you were saying he finished in 15th. I'm like, wow, that's impressive that you still yeah. finished 15th in varsity. And finished third with a flat. And
1: that is just classic TBY. Oh my gosh! Right yeah. That is just. Oh, Being able dude! To push under bad circumstances is just—that's TBY at its best, right there.
0: Bravo! Um, wow, dude, that's yeah. crazy, man. Pretty
1: sure he doesn't listen, but I.
0: That's nah, okay. Someone tell him. Yeah. I'm sure someone. Someone knows him, right? <laughs> um,
1: uh, you know. And then I just uh, uh, another race that was just so fun. I, I know I I talk him talk about him a lot, but Joe Reinhardt put on another fireworks show for us. It was funny because. Um, before the race, I'm like, I I gave him some advice, some heart-to-heart advice. I'm like, you know, Joe, you really don't have to leave the race the whole time. You know, you can just kind of, you can just kind of ride behind, ride behind Isaac, and when the time's right, you make your move, and he, uh, that went kind of in one ear, out the other.
0: I can't endorse his strategy, (laughs) but I love, like, him as a bike racer. He's my favorite. and,
1: And they the, so the freshman A start was by far the most intense start of the day. They went off just guns ablazing, and Joe just led the entire race. And whenever the, whenever the Morgan kid, whenever um, whenever Isaac is Isaac Lee, great kid, great super nice kid, great awesome dad.
0: There are no enemies in the sport. Yeah, remember uh, that.
1: Whenever he'd catch up to Joe, Joe would put in an effort. And <laughs> <laughs> and, like, get
0: 20 feet from him. So so Isaac uh, never got a draft off him the whole time. I get... You know, if I'm it like, works, you know man. What, that's
1: actually not a terrible strategy. It, you know, what? actually,
0: that was how Naira kintani used to do it. Just, like, yeah. never let anyone have your wheel. Yeah. You know, um, no free rides.
1: It, it came down to, like, a photo finish at the end, but...
0: <laughs> I love... Yeah. The, I'm it on was, the Joe Reinhardt. train, It was man. just...
1: It was funny. It was not the most tactically ideal racing,
0: but... You know what, man? Like, But it was definitely the most entertaining. I day. think guns a is just the best way. You know, throw enough mud, some of it's going to stick. Because he's, I mean, he's one more racist than I have recently, so I guess I can't talk. Yeah. Um,
1: a- an interesting thing, too, about the race is we had an unusual amount of kids cramp. Oh, really? Like, I don't think of... Maybe at, like, a normal Nike race, I might see a kid or two cramp. We had lots of kids cramping, and it was like like debilitating to some degree like they would like they would slow down and lose places typically holy smokes cramping so um i mean it was hot you're like they stage you out there like you you stage longer than it takes to do a lap when you're
0: yeah it's like 45 minutes of staging and 95 degrees like i was warm up for nike races and be like okay well i don't know why i did that it's not like it's gonna really make a difference your
1: umbrellas your ice vest did they let you
0: do rollers right by staging that's probably not a thing that can happen right i don't know that there's a rule well there's probably a rule against everything in Nike. i was gonna say yeah well <laughs> um
1: hmm. but i don't know um but yeah you know like if if that is an issue um uh, you probably need to drink more than just water yep you know drink, drink scratch load up on sodium i kind of think anyone should just maybe that's a hot take
0: i think everyone you might should. you know it hydrates you better it's be drinking something i don't yeah, know man just, you're not losing pure water you shouldn't be just drink, replacing drink pure water. With a little
1: bit of carbohydrate and um and some sodium
0: it doesn't have to be flashy like scratch is great
1: but gatorade's fine eh, i don't know there's there's a lot of extra stuff in gator you probably don't need so I'd, I'd say more of a scratch but yeah, yeah something to consider But as always at Nike races, it's just the lesson I always learn every time is that the hard work pays off. Yeah. You know, the other day I was out doing a ride and, and I, um, I, I saw Andrew Preston out riding all by himself. Oh yeah. And he I rides, see out riding all the time. He rides by and he's got like, he's got the biggest grin. I love his grin. You know, it just makes you so happy. He rides by waves and grins at me. I'm like, you know what? It's no coincidence. He's fast.
0: Oh yeah. you know,
1: Nope. Um, yeah, the, the hard work pays off the, you know, there's, there's some kids out there. I know that, that they're not really having the greatest seasons because they just haven't been able to put in the time and
0: which is okay. okay, This is not everyone has enough time to do 20 hours Um, of bike riding a week.
1: Yeah. You know, they've, they've got a lot of other things going on, but there's, there's still time to get, you're, you're not as fast as you can possibly be right now. Like if, if you start now. You can get faster than you are now. Oh, hey,
0: and you know what? Uh, Cyclocross is a thing. If you've been injured all year, if you've been busy all year, and you've got time now, there's cyclocross. Like, true grit happens in March. It's not, you know, like, that far. But, like, you can – there's always a good reason to work hard. Yeah. You know, it's never, like, a bad time to work hard. But, you know,
1: in addition to hard work paying off, the other thing that really pays off, too, that I want to point out is patience pays off. Oh, yeah. Because I do know some kids that have worked hard and and probably aren't getting the results they wanted. Nope. That's that's not uncommon. Nope. That's not unfortunately. Uncommon. Yeah. Um. My my favorite thing to think of is is Alex Wild, who rides for Specialized. He he gets a paycheck from Specialized.
0: Well, doesn't he work for Specialized and is sponsored by Specialized, yeah. right? So he
1: probably gets two paychecks from him. Oh yeah. But um, his best Nike result was seventeenth place in varsity. And that's back oh, when varsity really? was small. So Really? He was a very lackluster varsity rider. Oh yeah. But you know what? He loved riding his bike. And he just kept at it. And you know, we we develop at different rates. There's there's kids that are just awesome in junior devo, yep. fizzle out later. There's kids that awesome in high school Nica, fizzle out later. Oh, yeah. There's kids that all of a sudden their junior year. They're amazing out of nowhere. There's kids yep. that, you know, we just don't, everyone just, you know, did, we, re, we reach
0: our potential at different rates. Yeah. So, On average, hard work pays off. It, like, like if you look at like the, the totality of a writer's career, if you, if you're working hard, putting in the work, it'll eventually go your way. It yeah, you will. And, and the thing is too, is we're not just doing this for NICA results. Oh no. You you, know, you better not be. Yeah. That's kind of a waste of time. Cause they mean nothing just, you know, like
1: like you guys, like the fitness and the the habits that you're gaining are going to benefit you for the rest of your life. Like you're making changes to you that if you maintain them will completely improve the quality of the rest of your life. So,
0: and it's like a little morbid, but like really truthfully compared to just the average member of the population, you're going to live longer like this this is like extra years you're getting on earth because your heart's going to be in amazing shape you know like i work in the world of cardiology i do the worst job in the world of cardiology i know the least but like there's a lot of demand for cardiologists because a lot of americans hearts are giving out at 50 and 60 and that's not going to be you you know like you're going to be really i mean even if you like pulled the plug on the sport right now and came back in 20 years, you'd still have a leg up, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, this is very much worth your, don't be, please don't be doing this for Nike results. Like, yeah. like it's there. It's cool. It's cool. It's a cool there's, there's picture a, on a, Instagram. There's a bigger but, picture. Yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Um You know, but the other thing too is the other thing about just working hard and gaining fitness is it just makes it more fun. Oh yeah. Like this sport is way more fun when you're fit and oh yeah. when you're fast and
0: hark back to your first Nike ride maybe it wasn't, mine wasn't that fun. Mine was a death march. You know, your most re- recent Nike ride is probably a fun thing where you and your buddies joked around and did a little whips off jumps and whatever. Like,
1: it takes a lot of fitness to, to have fun.
0: Oh yeah. Like that, you know, yep. so yeah.
1: Um, and then like, just, I, I did want to just follow up a little bit on our last episode. Um, I I had so much fun talking about those things. It just, I, I think that that is something we need to address more, and I think as our riders get more and more advanced, the mental aspect of the sport becomes more and more important. You know, but I just want to thank all of those that we had a lot of
0: people reach out and kind of share oh, yeah. some of their goals with us. And um, Dan texted all of them to me to make sure I saw them too. Like super super cool. You know, uh, one of my
1: favorite was was Ken Montague. Um, his goal he said is he he actually just signed up for true grit which I think is a powerful thing to do oh yeah you know signing up for a race sometimes can be the hardest part
0: oh yeah Yeah. you know and it jumping in the pool yeah you know, like you know get getting it done walking off the edge into the unknown yeah I had, um
1: after the race yesterday Luke Miller from Bountiful came up to me and and you know he he moved up like I can't remember how many spots, but a, a considerable, a considerable number. amount of spots yeah. in his JVA race. And, um, and he just kind of like basically stuck it in gear and went for it and was, yep. you know, um, I got a message from, from Reese Tillman saying he was, let's, I, let's see if I understood it right. But it seems like he was like 45 seconds back from, from the second place rider, and just, Decided to put in a big effort, close that gap, and it came down to sprint and didn't quite get him in the sprint, but still closed an enormous gap. Oh yeah, forty—that's huge. That's huge. Um, but he got third in in that race. But um, a, a lot of people, and I thought this was cool too. Like a lot of people told were telling me about just big rides they want to do that are kind of motivating him. Oh yeah, and that's. I think that's super cool for like, for you as as Nike riders to think of big, scary, crazy rides that you want to be able to. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that's what like
0: that's what's motivating me more and more as I'm getting older. Yeah, and and like, and maybe for you, that's your first thirty miler. Like, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be you know doing a uh, white rim in a day, you know, or point to point. Like, it could like I I still remember my first forty mile bike ride I did with Jacob. It was in Saint George. I still I still remember. The first time I rode to the top of Big Mountain from home. Yeah. And like Do you know what like we said, wins are wins. Wins that's are cool. wins, man. A win is a win. Yeah. It's like a there's like a just, TikTok sound that's oh a win is a win, you know? Like uh just, just
1: yeah, get out there and win more. Winning yeah. winning's awesome. But Oh yeah. Really good stuff. Yeah, and you know what, I don't think we're done talking about this. Um, but thanks to everyone that reached out and kind of shared that with us and we'd love to hear more of these things, you know, like is Oh yeah, you know, when a race is coming up. I'd like to hear what your, what your goal is, or if, if there's something big you want to do, let me know about it. I want to hear about it, you know?
0: Like, 100%. So
1: 100%. Well, I think that's, that was quite a bit of stuff we covered. Joe, do you want Yeah.
0: Well, and I should say we we, we don't have like a, a deep, deep dive this week. We kind of have two medium dives. Um, uh, we want to talk a little bit about tires and then Dan, you were texting me that you've had a, a breakthrough that you want to discuss um and and was this like a a bathtub eureka moment for you uh sure do you know do you know that like that's like it's like it's like a greek thing that like it was one of the great philosophers was like he figured out the secret to life and said eureka in his bathtub is this is this landing for anyone it was like when i was driving
1: but yeah okay
0: same thing right yeah We'll, we'll touch on that in a second but we do want to talk about tires uh dan to, uh dispatched me last week to go and 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 put together a brief little thing on tires um because like as gear stuff goes pound for pound dollar for dollar this is probably the most impactful gear choice you'll make do you want to push back on that one of no, them no that's, pound that's for pound dollar like... for dollar I, I i think it might be
1: and probably out of all the questions i get asked like at every race i have about 10 people ask me how many how much air shape like how much air should I put in my tires yep you know probably
0: it's a good and, question
1: and you know in the skyline group chat like every once in a while someone will be like chat in like how many pounds of pressure do I put on my tires and like everyone chimes in with an
0: opinion a and, different number yeah so that's what I really want to talk about too so should we put an authoritative stamp on this and tell people the right number is there a right number Kind of. I don't know. For, there's kind of one I the, usually land on. But doesn't it vary? I mean, it varies. It varies. As with, as with okay, everything, we'll, we'll the answer is it depends. But um, I kind of wanted to start by like trying to convince you that you should give a hoot about your tires. Because I think most people, uh, if you cornered them and surprised them and said, Hey, what tires are on your bike? I think at least half the people on our team who are really involved good riders. I'm thinking maybe half of them couldn't tell you. I doubt that. I don't believe yeah. A quarter? No. A lot of people.
1: people, I think most of the people in Maybird know what kind of tires they're on 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 an average Nike Nike team.
0: team, Yeah, I don't think a lot of people would know. Even that it's it's like like people people spend so much time thinking about like the wrong gear stuff. You know? Um but yeah, I, I think I think the the tires are will make the biggest change on your bike, for better or for worse. And and one more time in case you're not aware, we are a, a, a Lycra E team. We're of a cross country ish disposition, endurance, endurance. Yeah. I mean, like we're, we're not doing gravity racing. We're not doing enduro. This is advice specifically for, for people for us, for people who like to pedal, you want, you, you know, any tire, any tire choice, you're kind of having to balance grip versus speed and even downhill racers have to balance grip versus speed. Um, this is not the only discipline where rolling resistance means something. You know, if you're in a downhill race, you don't want to run, grip your tires, than you need, because you want to be able to go fast. You want to minimize the amount of pedaling that you're doing in a downhill race in a cross country race. It's essentially the same concept. You know, you need enough grip. Like I, I go out sometimes for fun and I ride shoreline on my road bike. Cause I think it's funny. Like, and it's like a, a fun little thing I do to feel something after a hard day at work. Right. And, um, it's kind of fun because it is so unbelievably challenging to ride a very basic, easy, straightforward trail like Shoreline on road bike tires, right? That are totally bald. It It's doable. You can do it, but it's really difficult, right? And on the flip side, like, if you were to ride like a motorcycle on Shoreline with like tires that are six inches wide and have knobs that come out three inches or whatever, like, you know, like, like those are kind of the almost the two extremes that you're offered in the world of cycling. We have like, um, you know, you can run a, uh, a really, really narrow kind of gravelly tire. And you even see like Keegan does that in some, you know, kind of mixed mountain bike gravel races. And then on the other side, you kind of have the bike industry, which these days is sending bikes with tires that I think on average are a little overkill. So, um, running tires that are too grippy can cost you like easy double digit Watts. Like there are probably people who are losing 40 50 watts to tires. I wouldn't be shocked at all. You know, like running, running Maxis Minions. There
1: a way to know that for sure. Or no, is that just a guess?
0: outside of a lab, that's a guess. But it's a guess. I feel really good about. I think comparing Aspens versus Minions, I wouldn't be surprised. So if it would, it's,
1: you're saying it would take forty extra watts to ride up a same hill at the same speed?
0: Yeah, I think. Well, it, I I would say on a flat, it's going to make a bigger difference because you're having more rotations there. Mm, okay. In my mind, at least, I'm not a physicist, but. Uh, and, you know, like in a Nike race, like, uh, like I'm thinking St. George, you know, like that, like uh, the old St. George course, it's kind of more hard pack, you know, um, trying to like go 20 miles an hour to keep up with the varsity pack on Minions versus Aspens. I wouldn't be surprised if it's something to the tune of 30, 40 watts. It's a huge. Yeah, and that, that sound that makes sense there. Yeah. Right. So like, I think you should really care about this is, is my kind of opening, opening pitch to you. And then, and then from there, it's like we could discuss tires I like, different treads that I like. Um, really like I've run Maxis basically, almost exclusively for the past five or six years. Um, the Aspen is a good one. The Icon is a good one. The, if you want something a little gnarlier, like Ardent Race, like I'm not gonna go over every tire, like go to Maxxis website and read about it, read reviews, but like cross country tires, you know? And the big ones are like S-Works Fast Track, Vittoria Mezcal, Maxis Aspen that's Kenda. For, for yeah the Kenda I forget which one it is but um, uh, I don't you know like we can quibble about brand we can quibble about which particular tread pattern just make sure you're somewhere in the cross-country realm to begin with and then we can nitpick I think that Maxis has a really good balance of longevity and grip and, and durability that like, um,
1: like yeah like Aspens are faster but I do think you have to be a decent enough rider to run an Aspen.
0: Sure. And this is the balancing act, right? Because I'm not telling everybody, go start doing Nikon road tires because mm-hmm. they roll the fastest, right? Um, you need to be running the right tire. And this is something like in the road world that it even plays into the road world. You know, over the past few years, like road tires have gotten wider. I mean, tires across the board have gotten wider because we've realized that in the real world on rough conditions, like th- any yeah, this number might not mean a lot to some people, but like. 23C used to be the standard in the road world. Now it's like 28 or 30 because it's faster, right? So I'm not telling Why you... Why is it faster? Because, oh, well, this is a good segue, down, And this is where, where pressure comes into play, right? Because tires, tires really like... Again, the kind of two function of tires are, are like rolling speed and grip, in my mind, right? And you want to... Rolling speed or rolling
1: resistance? Rolling resistance,
0: resistance right? Rolling resistance or speed and then grip. And that you want to find the right, you know, you you basically want to maximize the two, right? In a perfect world, you'd have a tire that had no rolling resistance and infinite grip, right? And obviously that tire doesn't exist, but in the road world, right? People realize that like, if you're in a lab trying to measure rolling resistance, you have a smooth metal uh, spool that you're measuring on, like a roller, um, the narrower the tire, the harder the tire, the less the resistance, right? But that's not what roads look like. Like, I mean, we live in Utah, our roads are awful. You know, like, go look at the roads. Like, they're all pocked with different marks and stuff. You know, some of them are chip seal. And so people realize that when you run tires at a lower pressure, it allows the tire to kind of fill in the gaps. Right? And, and for the rider, it's, it's a twofold benefit because it's smoother and you fatigue less. You know, like, you're not going to have, like, it's not going to feel like you're riding Roubaix when you're on, you know, Wasatch Boulevard. Right, but that it's also actually faster, and this was the most frustrating pitch I had to make to guys who had been riding road bikes since the '70s and were used to running just you know pencil thin tires because they thought that's what was the fastest. Well,
1: and, and I think I think part of the reason that it makes you fa like makes you faster, and and why rolling resistance is so important, and why like lower pressure is actually faster, even though that seems a little counterintuitive, mm-hmm. um, is because like. Like, if if you're rolling your tire and there's a teeny little rock, that teeny little rock is like an obstacle. Yes. And if your tires rock hard, that obstacle is going to kind of stop it. Your tire is going to have to go Think a skateboard. What happens when you hit a pebble on a skateboard, right? Yeah, Yeah. it's going to, like, stop it, and your tire is going to have to, like, go up and And over over it it and then down the other side. Yeah. You know, and if you're doing that, like, all the time, that's slowing you down a lot. But if you have a tire that's, like, compliant – it'll, it'll hit that little rock or that obstacle. It'll absorb it. Soak yeah. it
0: up, make it disappear and just roll right over it, you know? And so, um, so that's the rolling speed. And then it's kind of a double win because then we talk about the grip side of the equation, right? And let's, so think about your mountain bike tire. Let's imagine you're sitting on your bike, the bike's weighted and somebody comes and they unscrew the little cap and they push down the little button on your press valve and your pressure goes down. What's going to happen to your tire? Like, think if you're watching like a cross section of your tire, what's going to happen is there's less pressure. You're going to kind of sink a little bit, right? And the tire is going to become wider. You're going to get a bigger patch. The, big, the-, the And we call it the contact patch. Your contact patch is going to get wider. More of your treads are going to be touching the ground, right? Now, again, if we're on maybe pavement with that mountain bike tire, that might slow you down a little bit. If you're in a velodrome, right? Like a basketball court kind of surface, that might slow you down. But if you're in price, <laughs> that's gonna speed you up because you're you're sliding less, right? Like when you're going to put down the power, you know, like if I'm on my road bike on shoreline and I go and I put down a big old sprint, like my tire's gonna spin, you know? So you're gonna get, um, you know, like climbing a, a loose, dusty, like we've got like the price climb or whatever, putting in power around that switchback, your tire's gonna bite, you know, it's gonna bite a little bit, you got the bigger contact patch, but then the biggest one for me like is on the descent. When you've got that wider contact patch, you can have an Aspen that feels as grippy as a Minion. Like if you have an Aspen at 20 PSI versus a Minion at like 30 or 35, they might feel kind of similar, right? Because the contact patch and the compliance, that Aspen is going to be hugging the ground a lot better, right? So this has been... Well, the, a good
1: example of this would be like if you've ever ridden a fat bike in the snow. Yes. Um, like if you have the pressure too high on a fat bike in the snow you're like, you're spinning, you're just spinning. Yeah. If you get the pressure just about as low as you can get it. Right. You have so much more traction. Uh, Right.
0: Right. And, and, and that's kind of been the big move in the cycling industry and the cycling world is towards running the lowest pressure you can. Right. And that's why, like when, when we talk about tires getting wider running and it's, it's really hard to explain without giving you a diagram, but if you're running a wider tire, it allows you to run lower pressure. Right. And so that's why like a few years ago, 2.1, 2.2 was like the standard mountain bike tire width across the board. Right. And then for a while there, a few years ago, we ballooned all the way up to like, there were people riding 2.8s all over the place. Right. And that's kind of, we've kind of settled that most people are going to ride around a 2.4 cross country enduro, even, I mean, those guys, maybe are getting into the kind of 2.5 zone, but like cross country these days exists kind of in a 2.25 to 2.4 zone. And, and, and most of the pros are kind of playing more on the, the wider side of things. Um, I kind of said that there's sort of a number that I jump to. For most people, I think you should be around 20 or 21 pounds. Now, if you're an 80 pound that junior. That sounds high to me. You think? Oh, 20, yeah. 21 pounds? Really? Yeah, that does sound What are you nice. running?
1: Like, doesn't like Nino run? And, and is there like a recommendation or, because or, like, I, th- I think you're just kind of throwing a number out there. That's and, what I run. And that's what happens in the Skyline chat is everyone's like throws out a number that um, I really like to run like 18, 19.
0: You have liners though, don't you? I do. Okay. But,
1: but I'm a big guy. Okay. And I'm a big guy and like, and I think just throwing out a number is almost useless because like, like, I, you know, like you, we've got like a, like a, a freshman girl riding that weighs like, one hundred and ten pounds, right? Like twenty pounds is going to feel like a roller skate to that rider. So
0: that that's what I was getting to. If if you are that that rider who weighs kind of in that sub one twenty one thirty, you can without liners. and I'll explain what those are in a second. You can safely play in the seventeen eighteen pound range, right? And then on the flip side, if you're if you're a big guy, if your Shack decides to get into bike riding, you weigh two hundred and fifty pounds. Twenty's not going to be enough. But I think most of us weigh. You know, like somewhere in that kind of 130 up to 170-ish. I weigh around 180 pounds, you know, like in there. And depending on the terrain, you can go up a little bit or down a little bit. I think kind of 20 is a good maybe average. And then some of us are going to be playing a little lower. Some of us are going to be playing a little higher.
1: You know, my rule of thumb usually is the least amount of pressure you can get a, get away with
0: and that is kind of the point point. and so really, let's talk about liners really quick liners are essentially a pool noodle that goes on the inside of your rim <laughs> um and uh i want to get them i've been meaning to they're kind of a product that hasn't really been cross-country friendly in the past they've you know forever it was kush core you've probably heard of kush core they were like the only brand that did this and they added like a pound to each rim, like just way too much, right? Um, but I think it's Vittoria. You're tubalite using and you're using Tubalite. I think we've got they weigh vi- nothing. That weigh nothing, and it really is like a pool noodle, right? And they yeah. charge so much for them, it's ridiculous, right? um Essentially, those make it so that. I guess we should say like some people calling it like bottoming out or like rim, like, like hitting your rim or whatever. Basically if you're running really low pressure and you hit a sharp edge of a rock or a root or something, you'll get that really horrible feeling where you feel your rim hit it because there's not enough pressure, right? If you do that and you're running aluminum rims, you're going to dent them, which I've done. And then if you're running carbon rims, you can crack them. Now carbon wheels are getting really good to the point that like, I've racked my, we are one rims several times since having them and they haven't broken. It's not a big deal, but like, I kind of think the perfect, what everyone should be doing is having carbon rims with a liner and then running like 18 ish pounds. It's kind oh, yeah. of me too. That's, right. Like that's the ideal. I don't have liners yet.
1: And, and, and like I say, I'm always like, I personally think you run as low as you can get away with. Yes. If you're hitting your rims occasionally, you're running them too low. Yeah. If, if you're burping occasionally, you're probably running them too low. Yeah. Most um,
0: people are running too high, though.
1: Yeah. The, you know, the liners, I think, are awesome. They also kind of, like, help prevent you from burping. You can go around corners a little Burping harder. really
0: quick is where you basically rip the tire off the rim, if yeah. you're not familiar. Um, and, like, this whole thing, this is why tubeless is a thing. People talk about tubeless tires. You used to run tubes in your tires, and if you hit the rim, you punctured because the the tube got ripped, right? But with tubeless, like that doesn't happen. You still don't want to be hitting your rim because you can damage them, right? Um, but like that's why like if like if you're running tubes, you kinda have to run 30, 35 psi because you'll be hitting the rim otherwise. And that way, like back then people were running like a two point one tire with a tube in it at thirty-five psi and you had as much grip as I have in my road bike. I don't know how we had fun back then. That yeah, was... it sucks, right? And 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 like if if you're a two hundred pound Enduro racer and like you got quarry closed off and you wanted to decay on quarry like sure there's an argument for that kind of 25 plus you know 30 pound like you know if you're going really really hard on really really rough terrain on really delicate carbon rims like sure but like you do not want to be playing you should have a really good reason to be above 25 psi you know like and you know what? i've done rides before it's like my road bike's out of commission and i'm gonna do a loop that's like mostly pavement like if you're going on a road ride on your mountain bike Sure, 25 yeah. 28 pounds, and you know what? You will find the rolling resistance is better there, right? You know, like you don't want to be running eighteen psi if you're riding up emigration in the winter. But
1: running, let's let's just make this super clear because yeah. this is something that people get wrong. All the running twenty five pounds in a cross country race is not going to prevent you from getting a flat.
0: No, it's really not. It's not. Yeah, like, and, and I don't think there are a ton of Nike racers who are over two hundred pounds. Like. You know, even for me, again, like, I'm not a light, not, you know, like, most mountain bike racers weigh less than I do, you know, and, and like, it's not, again, like, if you're running 15, yeah, you might be burping a lot. Well, but the funny
1: thing is, like, a lot of times I'll check racers tires before their race yeah and they'll have like 13 pounds in it and they think it feels yeah. fine like you can't tell how much pressure is in your tire just by feeling. no
0: it. one is a good enough cyclist to tell how much pressure yeah. is in their tires by touching them and, and, and
1: i had some kids last race they're like oh i think my tires are fine i'm like no, they're not. I put the tire gauge on and they had 13 pounds. You should check they, your t- air. Yeah. And to be honest, they probably would have got through the race on 13 pounds.
0: Probably. Yeah. You no, know, um, granted, if you're running aluminum rims, you really don't want to be hitting the rims because you'll dent them. And when you dent aluminum rims, they're kind of smoked, right? Um, so don't do that. But like, again, like Dan said, the principle is run as low as you can. Yeah. Run as low as run you as can. Run as low as you can. If,
1: if, you're, if you ever hit your rim,
0: you, you had too low a pressure. But I, I, think I, for, would, I think that's wrong. I think I think at the pressure I run when I ride quarry and you I mess up. Hit him occasionally. If you're hitting your rim occasionally, I don't think that means your tire pressure is wrong. If it's happening every ride, your tire pressure is wrong, okay. and that's expensive over the long term because you'll break rims. But yeah, but so
1: basically, Nike racers don't run them at twenty-five.
0: No, no, no. Really, that's really like I said. That's only going to slow you down. Start at twenty and adjust from there. Unless you're really far on one side of the size scale, and if you've got liners like Dan, like Dan, you and I weigh. Oh. You, I mean, I don't know if you want me to tell people, people like, you know, Dan's not a particularly light bike rider. He's running 18 pounds.
1: Yeah. Granted, with a r- liner. I run 17 up front and 18 in the back.
0: Yep. And
1: it feels awesome. Yep. And it's faster. Like. Oh, my gosh. And, but, you know, and my liners weigh nothing. The only yep. disadvantage is they cost 40 bucks a piece. Which
0: is obscene like that's hilarious like, right i've had them
1: for like three years so that's right like, you know
0: right right per year um, that's not very much but yeah and one and it makes yeah. it
1: hard to change tires
0: right and then the other thing is like width really quick if you're wondering on width i'm running 2.4 aspens right now i think nino runs 2.4 aspens really popular um, if you're riding a 2013 model of your bike you might not be able to do that um, bikes from after 2018 should be able to take a 2.4. There's a few exceptions, like the old Niner Rocket, I think maybe, because that bike came out in like 2013, they kept it up forever. Like there are exceptions. If you're on that 2012 Spark, you are probably stuck with a 2.2. And that is another reason that like, that's the reason I give people to upgrade to a modern mountain bike is like wider tire clearance. You know, the other thing to check to remember is that not all rims are the same. Rims come in different widths. Um, I don't have enough time to go into like the particular numbers, but if you wanna get out a pen really quick, to run a 2.4, I think you should have at least a 25 millimeter internal rim. That's pretty standard these days. If you're buying a new mountain bike, it should have at least that. A lot of people like um, Trek and a couple others have, have their rims are like 30 mil internal, which used to be like an enduro thing, right? Um, like my dream wheel set right now, the Santa Cruz Reserve 28, 28 internal rim used to be really wide. So don't go and take your old bike and put a 2.4 on it because the rim is too narrow and the frame might not clear it. That is the one thing I want to throw out. Um, WTB has a really good guide for that. Uh, They make rims and tires. Just look up WTB rim width chart, and that'll kind of break down if your rims are this wide. This is as wide as you can go. This is as narrow as you can go. You can't just put any width of tire on any rim. You have to make sure they match. And I will also throw out more and more different brands are having acceptable tires that they'll list, like Envy's starting to do this, especially on the road side. I don't know if anyone's doing this on the mountain bike side. I think I am better that some people are. Maybe just check. Like if you've got brand new Envy rims, make sure that different tires from different people play into them. I've been out of the bike industry for going on two years. That's, so I don't know, that might be something to too. Those are my two shout outs there. But the, the essence of it, make sure you're running a cross country tread pattern. Make sure you're running, you know, somewhere between that two point two five, two point two, two point four range, and then um, be around twenty pounds. Again, is the kind yeah. of when I fill up Nike kids' tires, I I keep them about eighteen or
1: nineteen. Just yeah, for the you know. Yep. And and if you're gonna get a flat, it's gonna be because the sidewall tears or yep. something punctures it, and you don't have sealant. Yep or a knob and and pressure doesn't prevent any of that. No, like hitting your rim. Isn't going to make your tire go flat.
0: No, no. I mean, unless you're running an aluminum rim and you hit it hard enough that you completely deform your rim, but like that's a skill issue just to be totally blunt. Like if you're doing that, then don't do that. Um, oh, and, and if you want more pressure
1: than that, don't let me fill your tires at a Nike race.
0: Nope. So. And then the other thing is, and last, I promise last shout out here, because we want to have some time for your thing. Um, you need to check your tires every time you ride tires, lose air, air can permeate rubber. Um, you know, it's not like a really old tire might not make it through a ride, but like, like even a brand new tire, you're going to lose a couple pounds by the next day. Check your tires every single day. If you if you're checking your tires once a week, holy smokes, like why are you even listening to this podcast go pump up your tires. you're probably <laughs> like, running them at 13 you don't even realize it yeah check your tires every ride if you have any questions um any specifics you want us to dive into let us know um and with that are you ready for me to segue you because i've segued you i've done some premature segues here we are yeah okay here i am segue segue Segway. i'm segued so so are you kind of yeah so moment?
1: Th- it's i i talked about this same exact topic on this same exact time last year hmm. because I think it's a really good time to talk about this because it's something that if we waited it would be too late to talk about and, and that's
0: peaking ah yeah so, we are kind of getting a little we're we're, we're pushing the time frame for peaking here huh?
1: yeah um it, and and so this is the second time we've talked about peaking Um, I purposely didn't go back and listen to our episode last year because I, I just wanted to take it from a completely fresh perspective. And, you know, I think maybe a lot of things we might talk and I really can't remember exactly what I talked about last time.
0: We're going to be repeating topics just so you folks know, Um, like that's going to happen more and more moving on. So.
1: You know, after you listen to what we talk about tonight, maybe go back and listen to the other and just count how many times I contradict myself. And, okay, you know, let us might, know.
0: Might be a fun little game. Get PolitiFact but, to check Dan. <laughs> Pants on fire.
1: But um, peaking, to be honest, is something... Well, it's something I really haven't figured out. You know, it's something I don't think... I'm really good at doing myself or helping other people
0: do, and I'll explain. Lots of pros aren't either. You see yeah. that too. It's it's a really I, difficult and, thing to do.
1: And I think last time I talked about peaking, I think it was a little more optimistic. This time I'm, I don't I'm I'm kind of kind of second guessing things a little bit. Okay. Um, and I'll explain what I mean. Having a and, crisis of faith it, over here. Every time I said peaking, I was kind of using air quotes. Okay. Because. I really think there's some important definitions to kind of establish there. some, some nuance. Yeah. Um, you know, I've every year that I'm doing this, I'm constantly tweaking my peak peaking and tapering approaches and, and I'm just, I have not been able to, to find the magic formula yet. Yeah. You know, I, and it's something I'm constantly searching for, but, um, the thing is, is I've talked to other people that they're in the know and kind of feel the same way, you know. So, um, so I've kind of come to the conclusion that that peak performances, they happen, but they're pretty rare. Yeah. And it's even more rare that they happen on the day you really, really need them to happen.
0: Yeah, it's, it's almost this impossible, it's almost like trying to like, I don't know, what would be a good, like, like shoot an was, apple off the top of someone's head from a plane, like, there's probably a day where you are truly the most peaked, and the odds of that being the right Saturday are just, like, really low. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you're Nino, dude. like Oh, oh exactly. Like I don't yeah. think
1: Nino has his awesome performances because he's peaking. Yeah. I think he has his awesome performances because he's Nino.
0: Right. You right know?
1: and and I have I've witnessed peak performances. Yeah, and they're awesome, but but the ones
0: you witnessed were probably just like luck this, happening, just like the, the stars aligned in terms of like the race happened to be on the day where you're kind of happening to peak. Like the if, if somebody is telling you they deliberately peaked for a certain day. They're wrong. I would find out who their coach was and hire
1: them and pay yeah. them all the money they ask for because it yeah. it really is tricky yeah. to do. Kind of like the magazine articles explain it. I don't know that it really happens like that in the real world. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the interesting thing about, like, peaking and tapering is there's just, like, there's tons of articles about it, uh, you know, like bicycling and training peaks and outside. And, oh, yeah. You know, there's no shortage of information on it. And they all kind of say the same thing, give about the same formula. There's tons of studies on it. It's something that's been, it's an easy thing to study. Yeah. You know. Because this
0: isn't just a cycling thing, we should say. Like any aerobic sport is going to be, you know, a similar kind of thing. There's
1: no shortage of information on on peaking. Um, One one thing I've, one thing that kind of seems like to me in my experience and my experience with people I've worked at is I am really good at getting people to, I'm using air quotes peak the week before the race. Yeah. You know, like the Saturday before the race, there's just like,
0: you're out on that pre ride and you're like, these power numbers are great. And then you show up to the race and they're 20 Watts lower. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I'm kind of like, why is that like, why are we still getting that to happen the week before? But it's kind of not- like you
0: can never plug in the USB the right side up. You know, you're just amazing at doing it upside down every time, right?
1: <laughs> you know, and and I, I think, and my epiphany is I think I might know why that happens. Um, I kept I kept used to thinking that, gosh, maybe I just need to put things in reverse a week and do what I did, the, you know. Right.
0: But I don't. I kept used to thinking that too, Dan. <laughs> Sorry. Was <laughs> that bad grammar? I was going to like let that go and then I was like, nah, nah. <laughs>
1: Um, but yeah, I, I, I think I might have a little bit of an idea why. And that was kind oh, of Oh, okay. Idea.
0: That's that's the, yeah. the eureka moment here. So
1: let's just talk about, again, air quotes, peaking. Okay. Um, so if you're going to read like an article or do a little research about peaking, what you're going to typically find is it's something that you would do for about two weeks to a month okay. before a, a big event. Okay. And again, this is just kind of like the general common what you're going to hear out there about it. Okay. um, And typically what you would do is um, you're going to reduce your training volume by about, you know, anywhere from 30% to like a half. Okay. You're going to cut the volume down, but you're going to keep the frequency and intensity up. Okay. So you're not going to be like make your workouts necessarily easier and you're gonna do them every single day or as, as frequently as you're doing before, but you're just gonna make them shorter is kind of the, the philosophy. And, and the purpose for doing this is, you know, you're, you're, you're able to maintain your fitness, but you're going to get a little bit of rest and, and freshness up. So, you know, your fatigue isn't gonna prevent you from having a good race. Because, you know, like, say you did like, let's say you did like an cup on Saturday and then on Sunday, you wanted to go ride with Ryder Jordan. Oof. You know, Oof. how well are you going to be able to ride with Ryder Jordan? Even worse than usual. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, I, I don't I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. No, but, that's pretty, yeah. But yeah, like when your legs are tired and you're fatigued, you're probably not going to have your best performance. I think Yeah. I think everybody kind of gets that, you know. Um, you know, and the idea of, again, I'm using our quotes, Peking, is that, you know, that it's a time to kind of freshen up so you're not super tired on on your big race, you know. Um, and it, it makes sense. It's good principles. Um, but for me personally, in my experience, like tapering has really never seemed to produce magical results. No. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, obviously resting up for a race. Yeah,
0: that's the only thing tapering ever done for me is just yeah, make like sure I'm...
1: Yeah, like, obviously, you don't want to show up to a race super fatigued and tired. Well, we've resting.
0: talked about we've talked about this before, hitting that right balance between, like, you might want to do, like, this is like openers, right? Like, resting and then doing openers is essentially trying to hit that balance of, if you want to hit peak freshness, I think is the best word mm-hmm. for it, right? Where you're not tired, but your legs don't feel heavy from too much rest, right? Like, yeah, uh, that's all tapered. It,
1: it all makes sense, but something about the official taper for the big race has kind of yeah. eluded me. Yes, know? yeah. Um, and so let's just talk about like some problems with peaking. First of all, and I think I've addressed this before. I, I a lot of people define peaking as reducing your training so you can have you, to improve your freshness. To And that's not peaking. That's tapering. Okay. So that those are different things. Yeah, they're different. They're different things. Um, they happen together, but they're different things. So, so there's a distinction between peaking and tapering. You know, I'll talk about that in a second, but I just want to throw that out there. Peaking and tapering are two different things. Um, most articles written about peaking are kind of written for like amateur athletes that have like, say they're going to do Lodija or whatever. you know, and Or the get, MS charity ride. Or, yeah, they've got like mm-hmm. one big event each year. And they go through their base, they go through their build, and then they go through
0: their peak. I call it, it the bicycling magazine model. Yeah, which is which is fine. We're not disparaging that. Like that's, yeah. but that's kind of but who that has in mind. Like most of the people listening to this are doing something completely
1: different. Yes. Where every two weeks, you have a race that's pretty gosh dang important to you. Yeah. Like it's kind of hard to call a, like a Nike race
0: a B event because yeah, because you can't have five A events you can't have a five year. A
1: events. But the kids, they they treat them like gay events. They're super important. And this is how the
0: World Cup works. It's a series, you know, like where you want to do well in all of them. You want to do well across all of them, right? And that's like what professionals have to do. You know, like Kobe Bryant couldn't be his best for just the championship game. You've got to kind of be at least pretty good year round. Not the basketball and cycling are the same, but like, you know, like Nino can't completely suck. 90% 90% of the time.
1: And, and like writing a training plan for someone that was just doing like one big event would it's be pretty simple. So much easier.
0: Look, for me next year, I want to basically do true grid and point to point. Like my training plan's pretty simple. Yeah, you know, I've like a lot. If you're so. like, I want to do nationals and a couple of I Cups and all the Nika races across an entire season, like mm-hmm. that's where it gets really difficult to like write the good training plans, right?
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, so it's, you guys are kind of dealing with something a little difficult and a little more complicated, you know? And like, yeah. Um, and I think a couple of things kind of happen in the Nike season. One is, you know, you kind of have to strike the right balance for each race. You know, you want to show up to the race fresh enough that you can race it well, but if you tapered every single, for every single Nike race, you'd end up at the end of the season with, like, almost no fitness left over. Yeah. You know, and then another thing that kind of happens is is a lot of times, you know, once school starts and once it starts getting dark earlier, kids naturally start writing less.
0: Oh, everyone does. You know, which, it's inevitable.
1: You know, which is kind of an unintended taper right there that kind of yeah. happens, you know. And um, so, those are so one thing I would caution to kids doing, Nike, is you really have to deliberately try to keep your volume adequate once you're in school and once it starts getting dark you know, you're gonna have to start your rides earlier and so yeah. forth. And, um, just want to, just want to throw that out there. But, um, another thing about tapering too, is tapering is really only
0: beneficial for people that ride high volumes. Yep. Yeah. You know, like, which is most of the audience of this podcast, but like, well,
1: but think about it this way. like, Okay, I, I would say tapering is beneficial if you're riding like 13, 15, 20 hours a week. Then cutting back your volume you know, to like 70% or 50%, that probably makes sense. But If you're a two-a-weeker? Yeah, like if you're doing two Nika rides a week and that's the only times you ride, assuming you ride a full two hours, which most Nika rides yeah. aren't actually a full, that's four hours of training a week. Yeah. Are we going to cut you down to
0: two hours a week? To, nope. Yeah. That no, would not you make... would maybe you'd you'd want to do like a reverse taper, you know, you would, like yeah. you need to start doing one right now, like you know, there's not a concern there. Yeah, um, and and then
1: the other thought is like, what about like I know a lot of people that you know, like they're traveling all summer, they've got all this stuff going on, like school starts, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah. I kind of want to do okay at NICA. So mm-hmm. then they start doing the work. I know a lot of kids that are like that. Oh, that's that. a
0: very popular model. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you don't need to be. Don't do an insane interval session the night before the race, but like. Yeah. Those kids, you don't want to taper for. You, yeah. For,
1: for state champs. You want to train right through it and oh, yeah. rest up a little bit for it. But yep. Yeah. So tapering would not apply to those people. No. Um, yeah. So. So let's. Let's just make the distinction between peaking and tapering like very clear because this is you know, it's one of my pet peeves. Um, peaking, and this is a definition I wrote down. I kind of liked it. Reaching the maximum amount of general and race-specific fitness we can absorb given our circumstances.
0: Ooh, that's deep. I made it up myself. You really? Yeah. That I sounds can... like you asked ChatGPT to come up with <laughs> a, an insightful definition for yeah. peaking.
1: And so, so basically reaching our maximum amount of fitness, given our circumstances, and that, that means kind of like our constraints, like how many years we've been in cycling, our genetic potential, um, how uh, much time you have to throw at this, yeah. you know? And so like, for instance, like, like Keegan Swinson can absorb a whole lot more fitness oh, yeah. than any other human alive, basically. Basically. Yeah. You know? But like if I tried to do that much training, I couldn't absorb it all. Like I would yeah, just.
0: it would be, you'd be com- so destroyed. It wouldn't be helpful, Yeah, right? I wouldn't be absorbing it anymore. Because yeah. he has the genetic potential. He has the history, the, the training, the, the base he's, he's built it up. He's been doing
1: enough years. It's been... his
0: full-time job. He has all the time to throw at it. He doesn't have other stressful things going on. He's his boss. Isn't trying to get him on slack all the time. He's you know, like he's, His diet's dialed in. and Right. That he can, you know? Yeah. So, so peaking is
1: when you get to a point where you've absorbed as much fitness as you possibly can, given your circumstances. Okay. Right. Um, if you go beyond that, it's overtraining. So you're kind of like, that's why they call it a peak. You know, uh, you don't want to go down the other side. Now, you know, tapering is when you kind of get to that peak, um, you taper so that you're reducing some of your training volume so you can... You can improve your freshness, so you can be fresh and fit at the same time. So you're kind of right. reaching your peak of freshness and fitness. At the yeah, same you're trying time.
0: to hit those. It's like a tightrope. You you described to me as kind of like a balancing act, right? Hmm. Um. So one
1: one thing about a peak is training with with well, one of the biggest ways to make your peak bigger because obviously you want a bigger peak, right? Right. Peaking. The peaking part is way more important than the tapering part, in my opinion. You know, if you really want an awesome performance, it's because you've got a lot of fitness. Right. Not because you're super fresh. The freshness helps. Right. But the peaking part is more important, having that peak fitness. And obviously, the bigger the peak, the better, right? One of the best ways to ensure that you can have a big peak peak, is by including adequate recovery throughout your training season. Because it's kind of like we talk about like your fitness is the amount of training you can absorb. The absorb part is the important thing to keep in mind, you know. And I like to think of it as like a sponge, you know. If you just like stick a sponge under the tap, turn on the water, full blast, it's going to kind of bounce off. Not all of it's going to get oh, in. Some, some of it is. Some of it's going to get gonna The sponge go is going to get wet. Yeah. But. You know, but. To do it right, you know, you got to turn on a little, like the right amount of water. Yep. The sponge is going to fill up. You might turn off the water first. You might a
0: squeeze the sponge first, so it's ready to absorb a bunch of water. No, no, that, that no. Is that this not playing my, into your metaphor? That didn't play into my metaphor. Okay, right sorry. I don't then. know. You,
1: you like pause, uh-huh. so, so the sponge can kind of absorb it. You turn on a little bit more water. You pause, let the uh-huh. sponge absorb it. You turn on a little bit more. And eventually you get to a point where the the sponge is full. Right. And it can't it just can't take anymore. And
0: Keegan is the biggest sponge. No don't, don't, don't take that one out of context. Okay. Whoops. <laughs> That's the title of the podcast, by <laughs> no, the way. Please. Okay. So so you get that point
1: where that sponge is just completely full of water, it can't hold anymore. You know, that would be an ideal time. You know, if you could time oh, your training. Oh, that's where we're
0: going with it. Okay, I'm that's sorry. That's why you ruin it when you I miss, squeeze it out. I misunderstood. I was like, okay, well, how would I fill up a sponge? Like, I was too practical there. Sorry that's, to ruin your metaphor, Dan.
1: Um, you know, but if, if you can get to your, like, important race with that sponge just as full as it can possibly be of fitness, that's, that's going to be awesome peaking. And that's, you know, and, and to do that, you know, you've got to have, like, adequate recovery plan throughout the season, uh, really, so planning adequate recovery throughout the season, and not excessive recovery, adequate, you know, the the right amount, is going to make it so you can have a bigger peak. And the other thing, too, is just having, like, smart training principles so you're laying on your training correctly. That's going to make it so your sponge can, can hold more water basically, you know, like if you're you know, if you've structured it so you're kind of doing your base work first, and then building and keeping residual training in mind, so you know, you're doing the right things at the right time. You're, you're kind of layering on your fitness appropriately. You know, that's going to make it so you can have your sponge can, can, hold more fitness. Um,
0: so kind of saying, and, it, it sounds like peaking is just the amalgamation of doing everything we've talked about on this podcast. Right. Right. It really right? is. Yeah. Like it's like a really big, broad
1: term, right? It really is. It's not just about like having two weeks where you cut down your intensity a little, or you cut down your volume a little bit before your big race. It's so much more than that, you know, but yeah, that's exactly it, you know, so, so peaking is showing up at your big event with just the maximum amount of fitness that you can handle without going over the other side.
0: Right. And we say going over the other side, you're referring to yeah, overdoing it, one, non-functional yeah, overreach, right?
1: Basically overtraining is doing more training than, than your body's able to absorb.
0: Right. You know? Where you're under recovered, under nutrition, whatever something, reason. yeah, and then the line starts going down, right? You kind of get to like the peak, and then that's what we call it—the peak, right? Because yeah, like it's that's a peak for a reason, yeah. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So that's that's peaking. It's
1: and yeah, like we say, it's basically like good planning, good training, lots of work throughout the entire season. To build that peak up as big as you can make it, given your circumstances. And you were
0: saying before you're really good at peaking people a week early. Basically, like, they kind of went over the peak and started going downhill.
1: No. And then had the race. What do
0: you, like, when you say that, what do you mean? I'll get to that in a sec,
1: but that's a really good question. Because really, like, peak fitness isn't a day or isn't a race. It's usually, like, a period of time. Yeah. You know, it's like, you're usually kind of at a peak fitness for... A couple of weeks or maybe even a month it's not like it's not like you just happen to end up at that point on some Saturday in October you know it's not that precise it's it's more of like a a period of time so to say that you just peaked on some Saturdays kind of just doesn't make any sense really you know right so that really doesn't explain why it seems like we can have peak performances a week before a race I think something else explains that better um but so that's peaking tapering. On the other hand, as we just talked about, that's that's just cutting down some volumes just so you show up to your race like fresh and fueled, and and it's just gonna, you know. And I think even like scientific studies show that tapering really only prefer, improves your performance by a couple of percentage points, which is still a lot. Oh, it's, but, yeah, it's it's worth
0: it, but it's um, not, you know. Yeah, like it's. I think I think a lot of people worry about it more than they. Maybe should, <laughs> yeah, um
1: one thing just to throw out there, like a lot of times people you hear about peaking early, you know, a lot of times people kind of structure their training and they're just it just happens to work out where they kind of reach that point where their sponge just can't take anymore, and there's still a lot of season left, yeah, um, if if that does happen. It's not the end of the world, but you are going to need a little more rest and a little less training. You know, yep. you just—it—it's um, amazing. I, I've seen this happen to kids, and I—I I tell them to take a week off, and they do, and then they're
0: fine. You know, yeah. so. Um, and the risk there is just you keep overdoing it. You try to overcorrect and do more, and that's kind of the worst thing you can be doing, right? Yeah, like, you know, you figure if
1: you've got that much fitness, taking a week off and resting and taking care of your body for
0: that week isn't going to ruin your season. It, no, it's going to help it. That's yeah. one of the biggest things that kids struggle with though. Cause it's hard to like, you stop writing to get better. Like that's just yeah. such an, unintuitive intuitive thing for a lot of these with that personality that a lot of these kids have too. I think that's difficult. Yeah. So, so let's, um, let's
1: talk a little bit about tapering for a second. And um, now that we've established that peaking and tapering happen at the same time, hopefully, but they're different words. Um, so, Fitness, I would define fitness as the amount of work that you've absorbed. Okay, that's the amount that your sponge actually hung on to. You know, there might, there might have been somewhere you had the water on too high. It was running off the side. That's not fitness. That was just kind of wasted. You know, it's the amount of work you've, you have absorbed. No, fitness doesn't guarantee performance. Yes, that's true. Yeah, because like I say, you could go on that – you could have that midweek race – and then you've got to go ride, do a ride with Ryder Jordan the next day. You could have a lot of fitness. but You because, go and help
0: your buddy move the day after that, and yeah. then stay up all night partying. You could have
1: a lot of fitness, but your legs are toast, and you feel yeah. like garbage, and your your glycogen's totally
0: depleted. Slept four hours the night before. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. You're, it looks like you've got some fitness, but you're not going to perform well. Because, you know, so because. Um, one thing to, to point out too, is that like the, the fitness that makes us like kind of that really razor edge sharp fast that you need for like a cross country race, that fitness can be lost pretty darn quick. Yeah. Like if you took a week off, like you come back, you've lost a lot of that fitness. Yeah. Um, yeah and that fitness you can get back pretty darn quick. So so yeah, so like one of the worst things you can do is like take an entire week off right before a big race. Yeah. I've just I've never seen that go well. No. Um and so that's kind of the the, the thing about tapering is you're trying to shed some fatigue but you're trying to maintain that upper end fitness. And the trick and the magic is just trying to find the right balance, which, like I say, is something I haven't admittedly mastered and yet. And again, plenty of pros get wrong. It's really tricky yeah. to do. Um, but again, what's really going to make you fast, though, is just making sure that fitness is high, that peak yep. fitness is high. The taper, if you don't get it perfect, that's I don't think that's the issue, really.
0: Yeah. Like, like it's obviously you're talking about, like, you could have all the fitness in the world, but then you do a midweek and then ride with someone fast and move and all that. It's like, that's almost like a situation where you're sitting in the car, but you forgot the keys inside. You have a car. You're just not gonna be able to do much with it. You know, under the, and it's probably better to have a car and no keys than keys and no car. But you know, yeah, there's another tortured metaphor for you guys, cars and sponges. And we'll throw in one more bad one before (laughs) the end of the episode.
1: Yeah. I'll work on one, but, um, but yeah, the taper itself in a way, I think it's something like coaches, including, myself like to kind of overthink and try and big brain it and,
0: and try to justify the 35 bucks a month people pay you You know is
1: that all <laughs>
0: i don't know i have no idea i've never paid but, a coach. Uh,
1: but it's, it's really kind of a no-brainer you're just trying to maintain your maintain that race fitness but shed a little bit of fatigue so you come to the race feeling good um so so freshening up like well well first of all peak fitness is it's the result of, like we said, you know, just riding a lot, layering your training, distributing your intensity so that like that fitness just soaks in. You come with a lot of fitness. Freshening up is, I mean, you obviously don't want to show up at a race with your legs shot. Right. You know? um, but I think for us where we've got so many races, we're in a race series. I really don't think that you should do anything that drastically different for state champs than you should for a normal Nike race. In fact, um, I would probably just kind of figure out what worked for your best Nike race and do that again.
0: Yeah. As you say, as long as what you're doing for Nike races is working, yeah, there's no reason. to. I wouldn't
1: really reinvent the wheel for state champs. No. Um, a, a lot of times when you read like articles and so forth about, about, um, peaking and tapering, you'll hear anywhere from a month to two weeks I honestly think in my experiences, that's too much. I think a week is plenty for yeah. what we're doing. Oh yeah. Um, and another thing that I think is super important is I think a lot of people that I've seen, they, they tend to over rest when they're, when yeah. they're tapering, like they'll skip several days that week trying to rest, but that just makes you feel icky and rusty and yeah. you're losing some of that really Top end fitness, I would say during your your taper week, um, I would hop on the bike at least every day. You know, some yeah. of those days are going to be when we'll talk a little bit more about what to do on specific days. But some of those days are going to be a little more intense. Some are going to be super easy. But I'd at least move the legs every day.
0: Yeah, I'd say like like try not to be standing all day, all the time, maybe cut down on that. That's a good
1: point too. That can actually do more harm than whether you ride your bike or not. Like, Oh
0: dude, a day of working a retail job for me is way harder than like a three hour bike ride. Easy. Yeah. Like an hour of being on my feet, being on my feet for an hour, I think is harder than riding my bike for an hour on average in terms of how it makes me feel. after. Like
1: there's people that won't ride their bike because they want to rest, but then they'll go like, yeah, they'll, Go to a concert or something. Or, and, on, yeah. a or on a hike. Yeah. And
0: you know what? Maybe you have to go to work, but like that sucks because that's not helping you. You do yeah. have to do it, but like that's, you know. Yeah. An easy bike ride would be a
1: lot better on your legs than just oh standing. Oh my gosh, yes. So. Standing's awful. Yeah. So, you know, just, I know there's people that would like an example of a taper week. And like I say, this obviously isn't a perfect one, but it's just to kind of give you an idea. Like on the weekend, say you normally do like a four hour endurance ride. I'd maybe this time just do a two or three hour, you know, just make it a little shorter. So you kind of end up wanting a little bit more. You didn't, it didn't cook you too bad, but it maintains some of your fitness. Um, On Monday, so you normally do like a, a two hour low zone two ride, make this one hour and a half, you know, on Tuesday, I would do some intervals. Maybe, maybe you usually do like three minute intervals. This time I just do like one minute intervals. Maybe do a few less than you normally would. Just so you kind of, you know, it feels spicy. It feels exhilarating and interesting. You get, you know, your legs burn a little bit, but don't totally cook yourself. Yeah. Don't get
0: back to the car and collapse. Yeah. You
1: know, um, Wednesday do another hour and a half low zone two ride, uh, Thursday. Like I usually like two days before a race to be kind of recovery day. I would get on the bike and just warm up until you feel good. Once you feel good, hop off the hop bike off. and go eat a snack, you know. Yep. Um, Friday, do an easy, easy ride, but throw in a few threshold openers. And then Saturday, go a race, you know. And
0: and while you're doing all this, be getting all the sleep, be
1: topping off your glycogen, be doing yeah, all the other
0: stuff we talk about, exactly.
1: too. Exactly. It all, it, to have a peak performance, it all kind of has to come into play. Yeah, um, But that really doesn't sound too different than what I would do on a normal neck
0: a week. You know? I mean, yeah. I maybe cut
1: some of the rides just a little bit short.
0: And if you are maybe really fatigued at the end of the night, of yeah. season, you're really feeling it. Then maybe do a, a you little might need more. more then, yeah. Maybe reduce by 40% instead of 30%. But like, don't reinvent you know, the wheel.
1: Yeah. But if you haven't been training at all, just have it be a normal week yep. and yeah. take, you know, take Thursday easy. And yeah, but yeah. So, so, like, the, the question is, is kind of like, what am I missing? Like, why have I struggled getting peaking and tapering right? Um, you know, because, like, we talked about how, like, that, that Saturday before, before your big race, I swear that's always the day where you just feel awesome. And, and the thing is, is, like, really at that point, like, from one week to another, your fitness isn't going to change that drastically. No, you know, and, and in fact, really in theory that Saturday before you shouldn't really be feeling that great because you've kind of had a harder week leading up to that than you would the next week because you've right. supposedly rested and so forth the next day. And it's cool. So it's kind of like, you know what, what am I missing? You know, and that's, this is kind of like where I kind of had the, the epiphany. Um, your bathtub Eureka moment? But it was in my car. So. Okay. And and so there's three things that to have a true peak performance really need to come into play. And the first one we've talked about a lot is that great fitness. You know, you've got to have that sponge full of fitness. Not over full, but full of fitness. Um, the next one, number two, is is sufficient freshness. You know, you can't rest too much but you need to, you can't be dead and you can't have garbage legs when you show up. You know, you have to find that balance of sufficient freshness, which also includes proper nutrition and fueling and so forth. You know, one of the advantages of a taper is it does kind of stock up your glycogen stores a little bit. But the third one is I think the the secret ingredient that's kind of been missing and I think it kind of explains why you seem to have your peak performance the week before your peak race. And that is the right state of mind.
0: Oh, yeah. You feel good that Saturday because you're not freaking out. You haven't spent 72 hours being paralyzed by fear, right? Exactly. Hmm.
1: You know, and I mean, we need to talk a little bit about, you know, we need to do a whole podcast on flow. I think we're past due. But really, when I think about what a true peak performance is, it's flow. It's being in the flow state. You know, you've got your training, your everything dialed so that you can almost subconsciously or not just not self-consciously let your body do what it can do best. Yeah. You know, and and a peak performance is an example of flow state. Yeah. You know, Corrine had a great race Saturday. I could tell she was in a flow state. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You know, because she's worked to be there. It's kind of like, yeah, I think a flow state is like every time I walk, I'm in a flow state. Like every time I speak English, I just nail it. I'm in a flow state. I'm great at it. Right. If I tried to walk on my hands or speak Italian, I'm not going to be in a flow state because I don't spend much time doing those things. Right. Like it's not, there's no like, like Kobe Bryant was in a flow state all the time because he played basketball full time. You know, like I'm not in a flow state when I play basketball. I look really bad, you know like compared to a lot of people, I might look like I'm in a flow state every time I ride my bike because I don't fall over and I know how to shift and you know, like it's like, there's no simple, easy, like flip the switch and Oh my gosh, you're going to be in a flow state. Every time you do something, you're in a flow state because you've worked to be there. Right. But it does involve being in the right state of mind too. You know, it's kind of the combination of
1: those. And so I really think that if, if you want to peak performance, somehow we've got to you know we always hear about peaking and tapering but we need to figure out how to get that third ingredient in there and i think that that's what's that's been the missing ingredient you know and i think might be the sometimes the hardest ingredient to add but you know when when you think about it you know you show up to the race and you've got the tents the parking lot the people like the music playing the music playing the crossing guards mm-hmm. the, Sh- the shimano ba- the shram banners the whatever they've got up there um you know all your friends you know that should be exciting you know let that excite you and get you stoked and excited don't let that be distressing yeah yeah you know like and i would say even if you are a little bit of a dis- little bit distressed Pretend like you're excited. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, yeah. Go up to a friend and tell them how excited you are because I think that's going to help you feel a little bit better, you know. Lie to yourself,
0: <laughs> you know. Make it believable.
1: You know, and just just look around at the thousands of other cyclists and the parents and the, the people blowing on those obnoxious horns and just think about the coolness of what you're doing and just be grateful for all the people that helped you get there and your parents and that are going to love you, no matter if you're in first place or 80th, you know, um, just, just think of, there's just so much, so much coolness that's going around. And then another thing to think about too, is just go back and think of all the cool magical times you've had on your bike. You know, all the fun times you've had with your friends and, and think about like, you know, your, your first Nike ride and, how pathetic you were and how far you've come. And I, I just think that there's there's just so much excitement and goodness and good things to just kind of fill your mind and your heart with that that this should be exciting. It shouldn't be distressful. And like, you know, you've done the work, you've rested up a little bit. If you can just somehow get in the right state of mind, I'm convinced that is the missing ingredient that's eluded me all of these years. So, um, I hope people can kind of go out and like maybe prove this new theory, right. For me and, and just have an awesome time and an awesome experience. And, and yeah, let's just, let's just go, go see what you can do. Um, it's, it's awesome what you guys can do. So, so
0: it's always hard to stick the landing after all that soaring great stuff. Like, okay, how do I get off the ladder? Like I, how do I end this? Like, I do that all the time. I'm like So anyway, so I just, thanks for listening. I just keep talking in circles and And have, then it just kinda gets worse and worse until you're uh, like, I'm gonna like, cut. Yeah,
1: And then do zone two and mitochondria.
0: Right, there we go. We didn't do our third metaphor. I the ladder. There we go. Oh there yeah, you're the ladder. There we go. What was the ladder? Uh, get off the top of the ladder, like when you get to the top of the ladder, you use all the sword rhetoric about all oh, the good times with everyone. And then we should have like yeah. fireworks. <laughs> Where, yeah. So fireworks. We're playing the national <laughs> anthem in the background. <laughs> like, All right.
1: Well, yeah. Hey, have a fun rest of your season guys. We love you. And if you ever need anything or have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. So preach. Okay.